Welcome to the Contrast Church Podcast. Contrast is located in Grandview, Ohio, with the mission to help people be with Jesus, become like Him, and live out His mission together. For more information on attending our meetings, our missional communities, or giving, visit contrast.church. We didn't, uh, we didn't give the kids the mics, but um, anytime I've seen it happen, it doesn't go well. So I think that was great. We did a great job. Well, hey, happy uh, Mother's Day. Um, Sarah already kind of gave a little uh, nice little tribute uh, to moms, but we, uh, we have kind of a surprise. We um, just want to be a church that honors moms and that fights to do the absolute best that we can as, as a calling as a church to love moms, single moms. Um, moms with families and, and really moms in any capacity. And so if you're a mom today, um, in any way that Sarah had mentioned earlier, uh, when you go to the back after services, there's a treat for you. But we also just would love for you to write your name down on a piece of paper. Uh, we are on your behalf donating $100 per mom to uh, Little Bottoms, which is a partner that we support that supply, uh, provides supplies and diapers and clothes for uh, maybe uh, moms who don't have enough money or are single or are strapped or whatever. And so we love that ministry. We serve there. And uh, so I'm not, we're not, we're not, you don't need your information, just your name. <laughs> we're not going to send you anything or anything like that. Uh, but on your behalf, we'd love to do that. So if you could just not forget to sign that piece of paper, Sarah will be out there after. And uh, we'd love to donate as much money as we have moms here uh, and honor them in that way and honor you and your hard work because you know how hard it is. And we know how hard it is, especially without resources. So. Uh, so that's one thing that's dear to our heart. Um, but if you would, open your, uh, your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 2. We're moving along here in the book of Acts. We, um, this is our third week, and uh, we spent the first week in the book of Luke because they are paired together by the author, Luke, the doctor. And uh, in the first week, we, we just talked about how Kind of the response of Easter, right? Like when you go to an Easter service, it's great, Jesus resurrects, he died for our sins, and so now what is the question that we ask? And, and, and Luke and Matthew uh, say, hey, like, go share this. Go be witnesses of this truth to the world. And, uh, and so as Luke and, and the beginning of Acts kind of overlap each other, they both kind of have that same narrative that, that we have a mission that we're still doing today. The whole world is not reached for Christ, so we're still staying busy. Even Grandview, very not reached for Christ. And uh, even this street, I'm sure, very not reached for Christ. So we have a mission to do here in the world, in our state, in our country. Um, and, and what's crazy about that mission is that we learned in week, in week one and two that it starts with waiting. That, uh, that to trust of what, what God is doing, that we don't get ahead of him. And that by praying and consecrating time and Sabbathing, and fasting, that we create rhythms where we trust that God is moving before us instead of our own selves. Uh, and then the second piece of that that we learned, which I think is really cool that a lot of people skip over in Acts 1, if you look in your Bible, is uh, the time at which the disciples spent moving on from the past. Uh, we think most about Jesus ascending into heaven and the disciples just doing all these awesome things in the book of Acts. We forget they're human, that one of their best friends had betrayed their other best friend to the point of death. And then their very best friend that did that also killed himself. And so they're navigating through the carnage of trauma that that is. But they're also, and so they're, they're acknowledging and they're healing from and they're recognizing their past. But they're also uh, consecrating and creating space for the future. Uh, and so I challenge many of us, 
whether it was to go to counseling or just take serious the, the act of waiting and, and creating space for the Spirit to move, uh, that a lot of us, if we're honest, are not ready when the Spirit decides to tap on our shoulder to do anything because we haven't taken those steps serious. And so now that we've done those, you know, we've, we've at least talked about them, we know uh, how to do that, we're getting into one of the most exciting parts of the book of Acts. Because from here on out, it is a wild roller coaster with the first century church. So uh, if, you, if you're turning to Acts 2, right before we start reading, I, I wanted to just like give you a foundation again. We use this prayer that Paul wrote in Ephesians 3, and we're going to put it up on the screen in pieces here, because it gave you kind of the basis and the structure of how we are to think about not only just faith following Jesus, but specifically in the book of Acts. It's not, the book of Acts is not just a formula. You punch in these numbers and you get this exact miracle or this exact healing to occur, but that it's, it's a, a history account of the way the Spirit and the power of the Spirit can move. And so in, in uh, the prayer that Paul reads, he says, I pray that according to the wealth of his glory, God's glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with the first thing was the power through his Spirit, which is what we're talking about today. The power through his Spirit in the inner person and through that, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith so that you may be, the first thing I talked about was being rooted and grounded in love. That the Spirit gives us the ability to be rooted and grounded in love. And then from that, you may be able to comprehend with all of the saints, all the Christians, what is the breadth, the length, and height, and depth. And thus to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. That We talked about the difference between objective and subjective experience and knowledge. And how those two, if they're rooted and grounded in Christ, the power of the Spirit, we're kind of building this foundation. And then the last thing is, so that we may be filled up to all the fullness of God. And so with this as a backdrop, just thinking about this kind of progression, this is what we're going to see in the book of Acts. Because before the Spirit comes on the scene, uh, they're waiting and they, they, are, they are just trusting the Spirit's power will provide for them. And we will see once it happens, some crazy stuff occurs. And this, this, this reality starts to explode like a geyser. And, uh, and so we're going to get into that. So in Acts 2, the first verse, going to be a fun little, little history lesson here. Now, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And so what's really important here, if you're, I don't know if you get excited about this kind of stuff, but you might just be like, oh, day of Pentecost, whatever that means. Or you're like, nice, I'm going to go get a Bible dictionary and read about the day of Pentecost. We're going to do a little bit of that. I'm sorry if you're not interested, but uh, here we go. So the day of Pentecost, okay, what did that mean? The day of Pentecost meant Penta 50. It meant 50 days after the first Sunday after Passover. So if Jesus resurrects on the Sunday, it's been about 50 days since he resurrects. Now, if we know that Jesus, uh, it says, spent 40 days with his disciples, and, uh, and from that, we know that there's been about a week of time that they've been waiting, that they've been together with one. We, we saw earlier that they were in prayer in one mind, unified praying together, and uh, that they were kind of creating space for the Spirit to move or to come and to trust in that. And I was thinking about it, like, oh, we, you know, that's not really that long of a time, right? Like, if I said, like, you know, most of us that went to college, you're like, you wait a week for your paper to be graded, right? And you can handle it sometimes. Um, but, but then thinking about, like, thinking about it like this, like if you took vacation for a week and you felt like God was calling you to something next Sunday and you said, I'm going to take off this whole week and I'm just going to spend hours in prayer each day, I think after a while you start to really question, like, is this really going to happen? And let's say you didn't even know what was going to happen on Sunday. Let's just say it was like, hey, God's like, hey, this really great thing's going to happen to you. You just need to consecrate some time. You just need to take off work for however long, just day by day, just pray and trust that something will happen. I mean, that's... Seven days is still a long time, right? Like, I think we forget that, you know, 
if I prayed for a week straight for something and I didn't even know when it was going to end, I'd start to be like, yeah, maybe, maybe, we, like, this isn't sustainable. Like, I don't know how long we can do this. I only have so much, you know, uh, vacation hours. Not sure how this is going to go. But these, these people, they're waiting faithfully. They're all together. There seems like there's a strong sense of unity here. So the day of Pentecost, what's unique about that? If you, if you study the Jewish calendar, which I haven't done a ton of, but it is shocking how the Old Testament, they have the Jewish calendar and all these holidays and festivals and things, how much the, the narrative of Jesus' story all starts to pinpoint on all, all of these days. That like Jesus is almost creating a deeper value for this holiday. So for instance, the day of Pentecost, try to follow with me here, it fell on the 50th day after the presentation of the first sheaf to be reaped of the barley harvest. So it was also the first Sunday after Passover, but it was also the 50th day, which would have been the first day they reaped the barley harvest. And it was also, I said, the first Sunday after, or the 50th day from the first Sunday after Passover. That, this year would be June 5th, so uh, we're getting there. But the day of Pentecost was also known as, the two other names, the Feast of the Weeks, if you've heard of that, that's in the Bible, in Exodus and Deuteronomy, or the day of the first fruits, which is in Numbers and Exodus, because on that day, the first fruits of the wheat, the barley harvest, were presented to God. So if you've ever heard, like, just trying to give my first fruits, right? Like, this was one of the ways that they would give, tithe or offering. Uh, this specific one was the first of their harvest. So when it started to bloom, they would take everything that they got from the first and they'd give it all to God. And so what would happen was, this was actually a party day, though. Now, I don't know about many of you that write a check to the church or to a missionary or whatever and be like, let's go party. We have less money, you know? But, but this was a part of their obedience. Like, they knew that there was value and beauty in what they were doing. This is a part of being Jewish, was trusting that God would, would bless and provide for you. And so this is where it comes from, and I think it's really, really cool. I want to read a few verses. This is in Deuteronomy 16, which is almost as good as the Book of Lamentations. <laughs> um, it says this, for the festival of weeks, which is what this is, this day. It says, count off seven weeks from the time you began to put the sickle to the standing grain, which is the 49 days we saw. Then celebrate the festival of the weeks to your Lord your God by giving a free will offering in proportion to the blessings the Lord your God has given you in terms of wheat in that way. And rejoice before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose as a dwelling for his name. You, your sons, your daughters, your male and female servants, the Levites in your towns, and the foreigners, the fatherless, and the widows living among you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and follow carefully these decrees. I find it pretty interesting. He's like, hey, hey, yeah, go have a party. Go include everyone. Also, like, don't forget you were slaves. And it seems very, like, like jarring, but what he's, the reason why they did this was this was a reminder. Like, we have something to harvest because we didn't before. We were slaves. We had nothing, and we complained about it, and God set us free. And so this is a, a, a visceral reminder that God is still doing that. And that's why they're putting aside this uh, first fruit offering. It's saying, hey, I'm going to trust that if no more wheat comes in, if this first fruit is it, it's all I got, like I'm trusting that God will provide. And so by putting this, it's an act of test and obedience. And they've been so used to it. What happens when you do it over and over and over again? You realize, oh, yeah, God does have me. He's talked about the lilies. He talked about the grass. It grows. We trust it. He can count the birds in the sky, the hairs on my head. Like, I'm really okay. Like, this is a great, exciting act now because I've seen the Lord reveal himself in ways that I, I may not have seen had I not been obedient this way. And so these people celebrate because they've been doing this. This is their culture. So what's fascinating about this is this brings a party. 
Now, remember when Jesus came into the week of Jerusalem, his last week in ministry and before he was crucified, that was a heavy week. That was the week of Passover. Passover was a reminder in the, uh, the Old Testament that they had, to, they had to smear blood on their doorposts and the Spirit of God would pass over them um, because of their sins, that something had to die for them to live. And what happened during the week of Passover? Something had to die so that we might live on the day. And it's just so cool to think about the calendar and how they've been practicing these things for years and years and years. And on these holidays, God is like showing them the true uh, like utmost value of these meanings. And in the same day where God is saying, hey, trust me, I'm going to give me a piece of you, and I promise you that I will give you the power and, and the ability to continue flourishing. And that's exactly what's going to happen with the Spirit. It's coming on this very day where these Israelites are thankful and blessed for what the Lord has given them. And we know that this is a big party because if you, look, if you skip just to verse 5 real quick in chapter 2, it says there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven. Oh, under heaven, that's a lot of people. <laughs> under heaven, residing in Jerusalem. And so, you know, and it, I was reading some uh, Jewish literature and scholars talking about, because this is still a thing today, they still practice this, and, uh, and they would do tons of different things. They would count their first fruits, and they would rejoice, being excited about what the Lord has brought them to then give to him. They would uh, celebrate with dairy foods was, was prominent at this time. Uh, they would abide by your typical Sabbath rhythm of stopping and slowing and not working and, and celebrating. Uh, and some would even stay up all night. They called it a night watch. This is a kind of a monastic tradition. But they would night watch, meaning they'd stay up all night reading scripture and drinking coffee and just kind of being ready. The, 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 the idea was that they were, they were being ready for the presence of the Lord at any point, that they had to be ready and that watch, uh, reading scripture, drinking coffee, staying up really late was a part of that. And so uh, this is a huge party. I mean, a big deal. And all these Jews are coming in from Jerusalem to get this experience to be able to give their offering over uh, in the temple. And so you have a lot going on here. So 40-some days right, have gone by. Disciples are, are praying. This festival is occurring. And now we get to what's going on here, which kind of sets the scene, and I think you'll understand a deeper reality. Verse 2. I'm back to verse 2. Suddenly a sound, like a violent wind blowing, came from heaven and filled the entire house where they were sitting. And tongues spreading out like a fire appeared to them and came to rest on each one of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now, what you know, a lot of people ask when they read this, like, wow, that's really cool. Okay, what's up with the fire? What's up with the wind? Right? That's what people want to know. Where's the ice in the earth? Right? Um, <laughs> sorry. And uh, just watch Frozen 2. There, you know, there's all four of those in there. So I was on that on that trip. Um, the, uh, the, the wind, what's up with the wind, right? What's going on with the wind? Why, like, why is all this happening, right? It could have been God could have just given them the spirit and they could have just went out and healed people, right? Like, why is this the way that it occurred? And, and if we look back in some of the, um, the gospel accounts of Jesus, we remember that Jesus said to a Pharisee, the spirit comes in like a wind. The wind blows where it pleases. You hear the sound of it with everyone who is born of the spirit. John, uh, Jesus says that in John 3. Then you have John the Baptist, who before Jesus even said that Jesus would carry out a baptism of wind and fire. And that here we have a great wind and tongues like fire. Now, it's you know, been argued for centuries whether there's actual fire or it's just like the idea of fire, this, like, this power. We're not really sure. I don't know. So you can look that one up on your spare time. But... The, 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 sim, the symbolism we use here is wind and fire. And so we know that the Spirit is coming in the way the Spirit was 
was, was showing and revealing over Jesus and John the Baptist. And this is like the way it would happen. It makes complete sense to what was going on. And what's fascinating about this is that the reaction to this. You know, you think, okay, these men start speaking in weird languages. And there are different instances of tongues in the New Testament. So you're probably like, okay, what does this mean? Is this like this made-up tongue language? Is this like, what is this? In this specific instance, there's several instances of tongues, and some have different arguments. This one specifically is other known languages. So it'd be like right now, if I just started speaking in Mandarin, you guys would be like, wow, I did not know Trey knew Mandarin. And maybe one of you was new Mandarin or was, was Chinese. Like, you would be able to hear what I was saying and be like, wow, that's amazing, you know? And, and so what was happening here in verse 5, like I said, there's devout Jews from every nation under heaven residing in Jerusalem from all over the place, all the different languages. When the sound occurred, a, cr- a crowd gathered and was in confusion because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Completely baffled, they said, aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? I mean, isn't Trey, like, doesn't he know English and barely Spanish? Like, how does he know Mandarin, right? This is crazy. And how is it that each one of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, which is in the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya, near Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, literally everywhere, I mean all over the place. Like we got a, a large swath of people here, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own languages about what? About the deeds that God has done. Which is fascinating to me, you know, I think I, I always wonder like, you know, did they have control? Like was it like this like eruption and they're just like saying things and they almost can't stop. It's like a fire hose, right? They're like, I don't know, I, you know, it's just happening. The spirit overwhelmed me. Or are they like, are they like stepping into this ability, feeling like they know how to speak this language somehow and then they're saying like, why are we not proclaiming the deeds of God in the power of this? And, and I don't know, like I'm not going to assume one or the other. I don't think that's probably a safe bet, but at the end of the day, what they're saying is they're proclaiming the deeds of God, which I think is fascinating to know that when the Spirit comes, the first things that occur, other than these miraculous signs that were promised, right, before, is that they are, they are preaching, basically, right? They are proclaiming, they are witnesses to what God has done. And all of these people that were maybe, like, not sure about them are like, oh my gosh, they're speaking in my, my tongue the good deeds of God, which is just so cool and so powerful, now, the reaction, of, of course, is not so good. Okay, Verse 12. All were astonished and greatly confused, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others jeered at the speakers, saying, They are drunk on new wine. Some would say sweet wine, which is stronger, uh, much easier to get drunk off of in this case. And so what is the response to, to this, uh, this wild miracle? Yeah, they're just drunk. You know, like, it's not... Like, if you... I don't know. Like, can you imagine, like, if someone, like, went up and, like healed your leg or something, you had a broken leg, and then you're like, yeah, you know, this isn't, but some, I just, I don't know, it's, you made my leg move, and now it's fine, like, justifying this thing, because their hearts just couldn't believe it, they'd say, it's easier to say they're drunk, than this to be an act of God, because we've never seen anything like this, and, and Lord knows that if we, if we started to try to step into this, we'd have to sacrifice a lot of what we knew, and I think for us, it's very, it's very personal, Right? Is there things that God is doing that we're just like really uncomfortable to, really hesitant, you know, to like step into, nervous of what will become of our comfort if we step into that way? And so for them, best way, blame it on the alcohol, right? <laughs> blame it on the drinks. And 
and I, I mean, let's be honest, though. This is the story of the Bible, right? Like, God doing very clear things. People either doubting in the moment, people doubting 24 hours later. You know, Peter doubted like eight hours later. He's like, I'll never leave you. You know, this won't happen. And then he doubts Jesus and abandons him. And then you have Pharaoh who like, Pharaoh had 10 good reasons to be like, God is real. And instead of, instead of submitting himself to God, he, his heart gets more and more hardened and more and more down his own trajectory. And Pharaoh and his army ultimately gets destroyed. Um, you, have, you, have, you have Judas who saw all of the healings and miracles and, and, and sat under the teachings of Jesus and let the, the, the consuming power of wealth right, drive him away to the point where he betrayed the very person who was life for him, even though he knew all the right answers and saw all this beauty in the kingdom. Like, I don't think we realize how, how, how prominent, not only, one, are our hearts to be towards hearing the gospel and understanding it, but two, to continue to be able to be receptive to the gospel. Like, what I'm saying to you is if you grew up your whole life in church, you're just as susceptible to deny the things of God today than you were several years ago. And we see that, with, like I said, with Judas, with, with, with Peter, with so many of the disciples. And so in this moment, I just, I think, are there things in your life that God is doing and you're just, you're just very aggressively against? You're not willing to see what God is doing because you're terrified of what it will do in your life. You're terrified of, of the response that it will elicit out of you. You're terrified of, of, I don't know, like the lower paying job, having to set boundaries with your friend or your family member, or like having to have a hard conversation with someone, right? Like there's, there's reasons why we're, we're terrified. And for these guys, they blame it on the wine, which is, which is just classic. And so what I, what I love about this is they're doubting, and, and, and we, we get to know the rest of the story, which is where we're going to keep going, but... Their hearts initially are met with complete doubt on this sign that we see. But what happens is, and this is where teaching, sermons, responses of the gospel are so important. Acts has tons of crazy miracles, like stuff that is not really seen very, very where else in the Bible. But there's so many sermons in here, like so many. You have no idea. If you read the whole book of Acts, probably half of it is just these long sermons with like when I mean sermon, I mean like them quoting Old Testament scripture and explaining how it's come to, come to fruition in Christ. And so all the time they respond, there's four things that they mention every time. They mention that, hey, the time is now. Like Jesus was here and the time is fulfilled in him. They talk about the ministry of the death and then the resurrection of Jesus. They talk about the Old Testament scriptures that were fulfilled that proves that this is the Christ, the, the one who was to come. And then the fourth piece they always have after that is a call to repentance. So, here's what Peter does, verse 14. I'm going to read this. It's a little bit long here, but we're going to read his... This is the first sermon, the first address. Post-Jesus ascending into heaven, the Spirit's power has been given. Is the Spirit really going to do anything? Let's read what Peter says. Peter, in verse 14, stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed them. They're most likely, at this point, outside of their house. They're probably near the... They would argue the temple courts. There's a lot of people listening, because they're like, what's going on? And they're listening, and he, and he says, You men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, know this and listen carefully to what I say. In spite of what you think, these men are not drunk, for it is only 9 o'clock in the morning. Come on, Peter, not a good start. <laughs> hey, 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 we're not drunk. We don't day drink. It's too early. Okay? Some of you maybe stayed up last night with your coffee, waiting on the Lord. We did not drink the sweet wine. I swear we're sober. <laughs> I just like, man, okay, maybe the Spirit's going to kick in now, you know? It's like, maybe not yet, maybe now. Okay, 
So then, he, then it's, it's going to get better. Then he, he, pro, he quotes the prophet Joel. And this is what he says in verse 17. He's quoting it. And in the last days, last days are now with him at this point, it will be God says that I will pour out my spirit on all my people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. And I will perform wonders in the sky above and miraculous signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will be changed to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes. And then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter's basically saying, hey, you know this, this, uh, this scripture in Joel, this is now. And, and he's giving you kind of this revealing, like this is it, and, and the response is, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so he starts to shake things up. This is like, if you remember, this is a really long time ago. When we started the book of Matthew, very early, the start of Jesus' ministry, right? He has these temptations, and, and he gets baptized by John the Baptist. And there's all these really cool stuff, but a lot of times we forget that he went into the synagogue, and he read a scroll from Isaiah in front of everyone. And he read this this beautiful depiction of the savior of the Jews. And, he, and, then, he, and then he closed it and he was like, that's me. <laughs> and then they were like, uh-oh. And it didn't go well. But, but he did that. And this is, what, this is what Peter is doing. Hey, the scroll that Joel said, it was him. It was him. And, and, and he did it. And so first he's saying, look at the things that are going on, the power that's occurring, the languages, all that, the tongues that we can speak in. This is the spirit. And then he explains, and this is the Jesus that brought the spirit. And so in the next one, he says in verse 22, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, who is from Nazareth, a man clearly attested to you by God with powerful deeds, wonders, and miraculous signs. We know that. We saw his stuff. That God performed among you through him just as you yourselves know. This man, who was handed over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you executed by nailing him to a cross at the hand of Gentiles or the Romans. But God raised him up having released him from the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held in its power. And then David says this about him. This is Psalm 16. I saw the Lord always in front of me, for he is at my right hand so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My body also will live in hope because you will not leave my soul in Hades nor permit your Holy One to experience decay. You have made known to me the paths of life and you will make me full of joy with your presence. And so he quotes this, this psalm from David, who they had thought was like David talking about like himself. And he says, Brothers, I can speak confidently to you about our forefather David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. They knew where he was buried and where his tomb was. And he's like, he's, he's experiencing decay, unfortunately. So what's up with this, this psalm, right? And so then, because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one on his descendants on his throne, he knew that that the son of David, that's what Jesus is in the name, the son of David, he wasn't directly David's son, but his lineage, right, was on, that David, by foreseeing this, spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades, which he was not, nor did his body experience decay, because he resurrected. This Jesus, God raised up. We're all witnesses of it, which was their job, right? Peter's doing his job now, finally. So then, exalted to the right hand of God, and having received the promise of the Holy Spirit, that they have now from the Father, he has poured out what you both see and hear. For David did not ascend into heaven, but he himself says, this is in Psalm 110, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool to your feet. 
Now, there's a lot going on here. I know we're reading a lot of scripture. That's why I hope you have your Bibles open or you can take some notes because I'm not going to cover all of it. But basically, he's, he's kind of in court right now. He's like, look, let me be very clear about what is occurring. And so he talks about the spirit was to come when the time was right. The time is right. Here's how we know the time is right. Jesus did all of these things that you thought would happen through the son of David, this, this heir that would come up, right? And he fulfilled all of these things. David is dead. He's in a tomb. We know where it is. We go walk to it. Jesus resurrected. He did not experience decay. And then David even knew this. And he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. He knew that one was to come. And so he's starting to kind of intellectually connect. Remember what we talked about? The Spirit's power, rooted and grounded in love, right? Objective and subjective knowledge and experience. Hey, we saw this, this miracle, this tongues, this speaking in another language that we could hear for our very selves. And now we're connecting the, the dots with the objective of the truths about the scriptures that were meant to fulfill Jesus. And so he's connecting all of these dots so that they might achieve what? The fullness of God, right? The fullness of following Christ. And this is the, this is the end of his sermon. And, and I, I want to I, I end with probably a unique, it's not the most upbeat Mother's Day message. I'm sorry, moms. Um, <laughs> But who knows, maybe you're, maybe you're looking forward to that today. I don't know. Uh, he ends with this line in verse 36. He says, therefore, which if you've ever read a therefore in the Bible, you've got to find out what it's there for. You ever hear that? So we just found that out, all those long verses. Therefore, let all of the house of Israel know beyond a doubt that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Christ, or Lord and Savior. Now, this is the line that is the most powerful of all at this point. Because he talked about the fulfillment, the power of the Spirit, what Jesus has done, connecting all the dots for them. And there's this moment where he says, you killed Jesus. And, you know, we, that doesn't sell books nowadays, but um, we, our sin has killed Jesus. And I know that that seems, like, very harsh. It's like, okay, well, easy. Like, I haven't, like, actively murdered Jesus. Okay, I didn't, like, I wasn't there, right? And I wouldn't have been there. I'm not pro-crucifixion. Uh, like, I wouldn't have done that. But the nature of sin is what, is what Jesus had to come. Like, he, there was no other choice. And, and for what he did for our sins, we have to understand that our sins is what put him there. And we don't do this to feel guilty and shame because that's what the devil will do. He will take the very good things and spin them into bad things. And what we're here to do is acknowledge because of our sin that Jesus had to come and that he had to die. And the deeper that we're able to understand that, the more we're able to humble ourselves in repentance and experience the freedom that Christ gives us. What I mean by that is if you think you're a pretty good person and you think you don't, yeah, I made mistakes, I maybe sinned, I'm whatever, right? You're not going to see all that much need for Jesus. In the recovery community, they talk about the first step, admitting you have a problem, you're powerless, right? Like, we would call that rock bottom, is what some of us would say, right? Why do you have to get to rock bottom? Because if you don't, you just keep thinking you can conjure up yourself. If I just do these things, if I just be a better person, if I just love my spouse, if I just right all of my wrongs by doing more rights, right? You play this obnoxious scale game, right? which is ridiculous because, like, what if that right isn't equivalent to the wrong? Or you just, it's, it's exhausting. And if you got more wrongs that day, then you just feel guilty and, like, trash, which is the devil, again. So, so why does this matter? We have to hit rock bottom so that we might experience freedom in Christ in order to experience the true fullness 
of what Jesus has for us, we must continually give ourselves fully over to the reality of what we have done and what we are doing as individuals, as a generation, as a country that is, in a lot of ways, abusing God's creation and his creations. And until we experience the depth of that and understand it, we will have very little depth for the love of Jesus in our lives because we don't really need it. And so the reason why this matters and the reason why, why Peter says this haunting line is he's saying, you have killed the Son of God. And, and for us to, to step into that and think about, okay, if that's a reality, what does that mean for my life? It does not mean that you wake up every morning and you feel like trash, right? I think sometimes people think that's like, hey, Trey, you're just being really negative. And I'm like, no, no, it's not, I'm not, I'm not saying just like, just only dwell in your sin and feel like you're trash and you're, and thank God, God saved you like you're terrible. You know, it's not degrading to the image of God, right? If you're degrading yourself, you're an image bearer of God. That's not right. It's understanding the weight, the pull, the ramification, and the dangers of sin and the reality of it in our world. And that when we can reconcile that, we realize that suffering, malevolence, evil in the world, anger, murder, pride, all of those things are not God's intent. They're, not, they're, they're, they're against his shalom, his peace in the world. And, and I, I just think, like, I, I want to sit on this for a sec because the reason why Jesus is our Lord and Savior is because we are at rock bottom, because we need saving. And one thing that I want to make very clear, I mentioned this earlier, this is your, maybe your first time hearing and like viscerally like, oh my gosh, like this is real to me. I am like a sinner. Some of you have been growing up in church your whole life. You've heard this message maybe a thousand times. But let me tell you, for you, for me, for anyone here, we have to continually step into this. And what I mean by that is like, let's say that, I'm going to give you an example. In college, I had a serious porn addiction. And, and I was just devastated by it. And I felt super alone. I felt like, no one really knew, you know, classic things that I feel like everyone feels with that. And, and I went to college, and I started to, like, I started to be under the, some of these RAs, or, like, student leaders. And they all shared their story one night, and every single one of them struggled with pornography, pride, and insecurity. And I was like, huh, those are the three, probably, that I would, I would, I would locate in my heart at that moment. And I just started weeping, because I was like, oh, my gosh, like, other people are human, too, right? Sometimes you believe the lie that no one else struggles with what you struggle with, which is just not true at all. That's Satan, for sure. And oldest trick in the book and, um, and I, I realized, oh my gosh, like Jesus is freeing me from this, that not only is he going to free me from this, that he will continually renew my mind, restore my heart and my mind through, through me co-laboring with the Spirit to, like, to, to reprogram my mind through like, counseling and apps and, type, and different things, through avoiding it, through other different things, through learning about the dangers and the realities of sex trafficking and all these type of things, right? There's this plan that I went on, right? And the Lord has brought me so far and been so good to me, even in our marriage. And, and praise God, right? But that's one piece of my heart. That's one area that I was very aware of, that sin was in my life because I was experiencing the reality of it very tangibly. And I, I got, just got sick of it. I couldn't handle it. I couldn't handle hiding in the dark. I couldn't handle looking at girls and feeling terrible or them like talking to me and me being awkward and just like, I just, I mean, I knew it would affect me being a father and some of you, it's affecting you right now as a father and, and, or a, a brother or a friend. And, and, and so I, I, I gave Jesus this, I said, I'm done, I'm rock bottom here. But at the end of the day, I had about, probably, I still have 30 other things that I'm still needing to give over to Jesus, that I'm still needing to understand this area of my life is killing him, it's killing people and it, it just, and it's not okay. And so what I want to encourage you by is if you've accepted Jesus and you, you follow him and you are fully all in, 
praise God. Like, Jesus freed me there in that moment. I know he did. But we got a lot of work to do, right? And, and for some of you, you have work to do that you haven't acknowledged. And you're just sitting on the crutch of the thing that he saved you with and letting all these, this sin in your life and not, and not thinking it's not going to affect the rest of your life. Judas signed up to follow Jesus and he's like fully on the trajectory and then wealth starts to creep in and greed and pride. And then before you know it, he leaves Jesus because he didn't deal with these other areas of sin in his life. And so let me tell you, that the sin individually, the sin corporately as a community, like we are making bad decisions in the world right now. If we don't lament and take that serious, if we don't hit our rock bottom, you will never find full freedom in Christ. And um, I just, I want us to sit in that, and it, you know, you might be like, oh boy. <laughs> like I'm starting to think of things now, right? The Spirit's giving you like maybe a little glimpses or, or things that you're thinking of, right? And, and so what do we do with that? is the question, right? Because here's what I don't want, one ounce of shame or guilt, because that is not of the Lord. And so I want to invite up our band. Um, we have people in the back who would love to pray for you. And, and I, I, just, I, just want, I just want you to know this, that you know, with my struggle with pornography and lust, I have experienced and am experiencing true freedom in that. And, and the power of that is remarkable. But there's other areas of my life right now that I'm needing to take some serious work on. And it's exhausting and it's really hard and sometimes my wife has to remind me of it because I'll like try to pridefully like push to the side right and but this is the beauty like this Jesus does not want part of you he wants all of you and if you give him all of you you will feel far more free than giving him part of you and so I just I want to close with this quote the level that you are willing to understand and lament you and our sin the greater level you will understand the need for Jesus' sacrifice, and just how gracious and merciful he has been to you. And so uh, next week, I, I, we're going to get to the, 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 the response, which you're going to see is just, I'm spoiling it, but multiplication. People come to Christ by the thousands because they repent and they turn from. We're talking about that next week. So in this moment, I would love for you, just if, if the Spirit is giving you things that you need to hand over, I'm going to be there. There's going to be people in the back that would love to pray for you and pray for freedom over that because this power, the spirit of the power is here, right? The Holy Spirit is here. It was not just in this moment. It is here now, and, and the Spirit wants to free you. And so uh, Nick is going to play for a little bit. We have uh, the Lord's Supper, which we offer every Sunday in the front and in the back, and there's gluten-free cups in the very, very back. And if that's a, that's a tangible way for you to also communicate, like I am reminding myself that I am at rock bottom and I need a Savior and that the Christ sacrificed his blood, his body has been poured out for me. So you can partake in that. You can just reflect and sit. Uh, we just want to invite you in this space for the next four or five minutes just to, whatever the Spirit's calling you to, um, to step into and to be a community and a family that does that together. Thank you for listening to the Contrast Church Podcast. To learn more about us and how you can be a part of it, visit contrast.church.